Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Indie Diarist podcast, a show on the human stories behind indie game development. Speaking to you today is your loyal Indie Diarist and host, Anthony L. Wolf, writer, narrative designer, senior content manager for social media, all the things that you guys already know. And I'm speaking to you today just with a little announcement or refresher if you've listened to the other episodes from earlier this month. Which is that now there's a whole new way to support the show. As of August, the coffee and Patreon pages for the Indie Diarist are now live. And uh, you can find them by going to theindiediarist.com and clicking on the direct links or going to patreon.com or coffee.com slash the indie diarist without spaces or dashes uh my patreon tiers start from as little as uh, 2.50 but for this very first month as we are halfway through august uh, i'm running a special 50 percent discount of all tiers and you can subscribe from as little as 1.25 pounds or about two dollars per month and with that you gain access to episodes in advance plus a lot more without further ado let's dive head straight into this episode which is footnote number two my second ever bonus episode and for this one i wanted to do something really special i asked josh from still loading podcast to jump on the show to discuss the origins and rise of indie games and what they mean for video game culture. Now Josh is just an amazing individual and now officially one of the pals of the show and this is my first ever podcast collab which is something that you will also hear very shortly. But thank you so much Josh for being such an amazing guest and I'm sure we can do even more together in the future. So yeah I'll just leave you to the episode now. Please enjoy and uh, do feel free to reach out to either of us to let us know what you thought of this nice little collab. All right, hello everybody and welcome to a new episode of the Indie Diarist podcast. Today with you is your loyal Indie, di- indie Diarist, Anthony L. Wolf, writer, narrative designer and senior content manager for social media. And this is the second footnote episode, which is uh, my series of special episodes. And for this one, I wanted to do something very, very special and have the first podcast collaboration ever in the history of the Indie Diarist. And so today with me is Josh from Still Loading. So I'll let you introduce yourself, Josh, and say a little bit about your podcast. And then for your listeners, maybe I'll say a few things about myself. Uh, Dude, first off, I'm honored to be your first podcast collab. So thank you so much for inviting me on the show. I've been looking forward to this uh, since since we kind of set this whole thing up. Um, Also looking forward to chatting about, I don't know if can I say what the topic is? I don't know if it, it's, I guess it's in the show title. It's, it's good know. to be in the show title. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm excited <laughs> to talk about indie games. I don't know. I didn't know how much you wanted to bury the lead or what. I don't know. But no, thank you for inviting <laughs> me on. I've been looking forward to this. Um, and yeah, so Still Loading, I kind of describe it as a gaming grab bag podcast. It's kind of, it does a little bit of everything. Um, I do deep dives on individual games. I focus a lot on game history and within my retrospectives. Um, but then I also have interviews with people in the industry. Like I've interviewed voice actors and some game devs, both indie and tri- actually has it been any AAA? I guess technically I've done like one AAA dev and the rest have been indie. Um, and I've interviewed other composers. Uh, so I've interviewed composers, actually most of them for indie games, uh, which is kind of yeah. appropriate for your for your show. So yeah, I kind of do a little bit of everything. If I had to shout out a couple things specifically that I, I always like to highlight in case someone wants to check out my show. Um, if you like Final Fantasy, I did an episode called the Final Fantasy Fantasy Draft, which is what happens when you take fantasy sports and Final Fantasy 
fantasy and mash them up together. Had a lot of fun with that. And I would say uh, at the time this probably comes out, actually, yeah, because my next episode is coming out tomorrow. Uh, the episode that I is actually about to drop uh, the day after we record this on the for the Famicom 40th anniversary, the Famicom slash Nintendo Nintendo Entertainment System. I I really enjoyed doing that episode, and and so it kind of gives a good snippet of like a good range of like some goofier things that aren't so aren't so much history focused and then some things that are very heavily history focused which were with a touch of uh inappropriate humor (laughs) (laughs) well i did see you um share things about the famicom and, and, and all of that on your twitter profile recently so it looks like you you were getting ready to drop that episode but yeah so mm-hmm. and, and i think one way i would describe uh josh's podcast is it's a podcast on video game culture really and, uh, that's 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 the main thing that uh that pushed me to actually get in touch and see okay let's see what we can do with this and uh, just in case some listeners from from still loading are uh listening to this episode as well the indie diarist is a podcast on the human stories behind indie game development so it's entirely focused on indie game development uh, every episode, I have different um, studios or different game developers just coming to the po- uh, on the podcast and telling their stories uh, to me, but also via me, they're telling them to you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and, uh, if I had to shout out to one episode in particular is the very first footnote, uh, which is right before this one, um, footnote number one, which was with the narrative designer of Outer Wilds, Kelsey Beecham. And that was a splendid episode indeed. But I've been um, meaning to listen to that one because, dude, I love Outer Wilds. I, I I mentioned to you when we had our, when we chatted off mic uh, a little while ago about how, like, I'm just blown away by the storytelling in that game. So I'm, I haven't had a chance to sit down and listen to it, but I'm planning on listening to it very soon. I'm very interested in that episode. Perfect. So you have uh, Josh's interest as well. So yeah, go check it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think I think we can dive straight into the episode because uh, we have a pretty packed outline and uh, it's going to be an interesting one, this one. So I, I thought we could come together to talk about the impact of indie games on video game culture. And, indie ga- and just when I say indie games, I mention mostly, I'm referring mostly to the golden age, the rise of indie games after Steam um, exploded, in a way. Because we know that, of course, all games were indies before they were a commercial success, but I guess we'll, we'll get into it uh, mm-hmm. just now. So I think, I think this is relevant personally because indie games are very topical right now. They're publishers from all over the world and uh, of all sizes are just investing heavily in these uh, independent little teams um, and just giving them a lot of support, even if they primarily publish AAA games. So there's clearly market interest for it. There's clearly, this is clearly a cultural moment for video games as they, uh, as indie games reach their maturity. And so I think we could talk about how that happened and where we're headed next. So I think we can start by talking about the origins of indie games and their roots in the industry. So let's have a little bit of a free discussion around that. And I think it's important to note, and even though I already mentioned it, that indie games, the label indie, is is going to be probably discussed a lot during this during yes. this episode because uh, you know there are, there are different ways to describe what an indie is. I feel like that is a very complicated 
definition to 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 make because what like because if you look like for example minecraft most i arguably the most successful indie game of all time but is it really indie anymore now that it's been bought mm -hmm. by microsoft yeah. i would say no but it was indie at one point in time so it i think like one of the one of the things in doing research for this episode both in some of the the wonderful research you did like you you sent me so much so many links <laughs> that was very helpful um but one thing that i think is a interesting maybe not narrative but thing to like think about is like when does an indie developer transition into becoming AAA? Like I, I would argue there's been very few in recent memory of indie developers that have transitioned into AAA, uh, with mm -hmm. the exception of like Minecraft once again, but yeah. that was also bought by Microsoft. So kind of, but, uh, but like, if you look like, I, I'm sure there's other examples that I can't think of, but the last one I could think of is like the id guys, like id software that with mm -hmm. back with, you know, and shareware and all that other stuff, those yeah. were indie devs, but now they're AAA devs. But when did that transition actually happen? I, I don't, no, it's, 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 I feel like it, it, I don't know if we're going to be able to even answer it over the course of our conversation this episode, but like, when does an indie dev become AAA? Like, what level of success is too great in order mm -hmm. to not be considered indie anymore? And that's a really weird thought to have, you know? Mm hmm. I think, well, I've, having spoken to a lot of developers, and I even know a few who have been published by Devolver Digital, for example, who's this huge, uh, indie publisher, yeah. of course. Um, the, of course, there are the, there are conflicting views there. There are people who still see themselves as in, as indie because you know there's very minimal interference in terms of the creative process from the publisher. But also, once you have the kind of support and you have the kind of funding and the money, are you still indie? Are you a triple I or a double A or something mm -hmm. like that? There are those terms that have been discussed um, in the past. But yeah, I think I think one. One very important thing to say already now from the start is that I think indies have always been around, as you as you yes. mentioned, like transitioning from Doom in the 1993, I think it was released, to now being AAA for for um, for its software. They were indie at some point. It's just that there wasn't Steam around, so indies yep. never really left. They they are the foundation of the medium in a way, and it's something that even someone like Bennett Foddy, who's uh, the creator of Getting Over It, um, and also multi-year designer with, mm. with, with multi-year experience and such, he, he says very loud and proud. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you have, well, of course, I, I suppose you will have some memories from from, from the early 90s and, and such. Of course, I was born in 95, so kind of young, I've... but... Uh, <laughs> Well, I was born in 89, so I don't really have a lot of memories of the shareware era of mm -hmm. of game history. I will say it's interesting to think about. I think the comment you made I uh, about it was kind of – I think it it's a little bit easy to gloss over, but I think it's super important. So I want to kind of like circle around on it. Indie games are the foundation of the industry. That is yeah. – I think that's something that not a lot of people really realize and something I didn't quite even realize. But if you think about it, you know – um, before AAA publishers or devs even existed, everything was indie because the industry yeah. wasn't an industry. It was just mm -hmm. a bunch of enthusiasts who wanted to make something amazing. Yeah, and like the, a lot of games at the beginning were sold by mail order without even yep. a retailer in the 80s. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's, that was just how the industry was born. 
that th- selling them through uh, your local store through Ziploc baggies and little printouts and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. Like, and the thing is, even um, what is it? Even on like the Atari twenty six hundred, right? You know, the Atari VCS. That thing, yes, there were triple A ish teams you know like activision obviously became that but it really wasn't initially um Mm. it was a bunch of like uh, atari uh not rejects but atari uh defectors that's the word i'm looking for they defected from atari Mm because atari treated them like crap um so it it's kind of interesting that like you you know the one of the reasons one of the first like third party developers started up was because of triple a not kind of not treating their employees well and i almost feel like indie is kind of a similar uh, indie indie games is kind of a similar thing obviously there's hobbyists mm-hmm. who get into it but there's a lot of indie devs what is it there's a guy named tony barnes who worked in, who's worked in the industry since the 90s he worked on mm-hmm. like the jungle strike games for like the genesis and whatnot he worked on uh, in terms of AAA stuff, somewhat more recent. Granted, it's over a decade, but the Medal of Honor 2010 reboot, he worked on that. Dude's been in the industry for years. He has his own indie studio now called Retro Ninja because he's tired of working for the AAA space <laughs> yeah. because of how AAA companies treat people, um, yeah. treat employees. Uh, so it, it is interesting how it's kind of a little bit of a, a cyclical thing where you know Atari treated their employees like crap, wouldn't give let them credit themselves in their own games for mm-hmm. like f you we're going to start our own company and now we have activision mm-hmm. yeah. now activision it's its own little <laughs> thing but we're, we're not going to go into that um yeah but no like, it's not it's probably not but like even <laughs> the, the first moment one of the things you sent me uh, i forget which youtuber it was but in the video he made a really good point like what's the first indie game arguably it's pong or arguably if you mm-hmm. go even back it's like tennis for two or whatever i think um, the video was called just for a uh, listener's reference it was probably uh the one about um the spirit of indie mm-hmm. um of indie games and uh while you talk i'm gonna try and find it again because that no was worries. really useful but like that that's technically like the first indie game because it wasn't developed it was just developed by a bunch of people and they were like oh this was cool and then they were able it ended up taking off there's even other stuff where like um Someone made, I forget who told me about this. It might have been uh, uh, Kevin Bunch, who does a lot of work with Atari. He he has a YouTube channel called Atari Archive, and it's all about studying the history of Atari in that era of game history, you know, like mid to late 70s, early 80s. And he might have been the one that told me this, but I can't remember. But there is a guy who made uh for maybe it might have been for like atari computers or something like that but to teach himself how to program he just taught he made like a version of monopoly or i might not have even been monopoly i'm so sorry i'm blanking on a lot of the specifics (laughs) of this story but essentially he turned a popular board game into a video game and Mm -hmm. into a video game version of it to teach himself how to program and Mm -hmm. there might have been someone else who told me about this too but uh and then it ended up being insanely popular and he had no idea because of just distribution methods. There's no way, like it just kind of took yeah. off. I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a wild thing to think about like the evolution of indie games throughout the industry where they are kind of the foundation of the industry, but they're also kind of the unsung heroes. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Even now. Yeah. Cause I think, um, there are a couple of reasons for that. And also interesting that the, um, uh, the guy you mentioned, He's uh, he's worked on a board game and converting it into a game. I don't know if you know the the book called The Art of Game Design, and that that book argues that 
a lot of board games can teach you game design even yeah. better than video games themselves because they're they're just mm-hmm. so complicated systems. But I think going back to the, the the problem of the unsung heroes and such, I think there's one very actually I like both of his books right now. Jason Schreier, the the mm-hmm. reporter from Bloomberg, and his second book, which is Press Reset, um, that's that dives into what happens when a game flops in the triple A scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually that means if you're a small studio that you either experience a bunch of layoffs or you just get bought or just absorbed by the publisher to just do something else. And mm-hmm. uh, and still, your studio usually goes through a bunch of layoffs anyway, because yeah. all it takes is one failed game for these studios that just work under big publishers and spend millions of bud- in, in budget on games yep. that then maybe end up being a flop. So that's probably why a lot of indies still prefer today to work independently. Because they know that is a possibility, they know that could happen, and they know that uh, it's it's just not not worth the, <laughs> the the risk and the financial insecurity. Even though being indie is just as financial insecure as maybe working in AAA on one game for three years. Um, so yeah, there are there are a lot of different mm-hmm. sides to this story, but I'm sure we're going to dive into them um, pretty soon. I think one. One important thing that I realized, and I, I didn't really think about it until I read it, is that even the shareware market, basically, a lot of developers were working for bigger companies. So there the, the were, well, yes, yeah, some were just putting a demo out yeah. and then just like do, but Doom itself, like the developers of Doom themselves, they just work with another company. I think it was Apogee Software that just put the demo online and then they could download Commander well, Keen then, or all of uh, that. Apogee so, is the one that invented the shareware model. Exactly, to, yeah. I, so it's like they, they may have worked with another company, but I still would consider that kind of indie for the time because it mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. like there, – there wasn't like – an Activision or EA, which both existed at the time, or they didn't Definitely. get published via um, some of the big companies. They kind of did it all themselves. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it still is an impressive thing. And I guess what's interesting too is like when, like, if you think back even to like the era prior to that, you know, uh, NES, Sega Master System, or the SG-1000, like what constitutes an indie versus, in my in my estimation, there wasn't really indie devs at all for those systems. They were all quote-unquote AAA, but why? Mm-hmm. Like it could have been a company that started up and just paid Nintendo to put their stuff on their system. Like I don't, like what constitutes an indie game in that era like i feel like almost the definition of indie game changes depending on the era that you're in um Mm -hmm. so like in the 90s a lot of the shareware ones we don't think of them as indie devs now but arguably they were because you know there was they were having to self-publish everything i feel like Mm self-publishing is almost like a guaranteed definite like no no matter what era if you self-publish your game uh no matter the size uh, arguably you're indie um Mm -hmm. So I, I mean that's just my personal opinion. I'm not saying that as a definitive statement. I'm because <laughs> yeah. by that because by but that it, it logic, it kind of makes sense though. A lot of like indie yeah. authors, even just in other parts of in other industries and sectors, indie writers they they usually are the ones who self publish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, even in that in that sector in publishing, there are still indie novel pub indie fiction publishing houses and such yeah so you still have 
indie publishers. Yes, and that's that, not to that say pick any, up those people. So. Exactly, and that's not to say any dev who gets published, even by AAA, because technically, uh, what is it? Journey from that game company is a, mm-hmm. is an indie game, but it was published by Sony. Sony financed mm-hmm. that game, um, mm-hmm. but it's still technically considered an indie. So I, it indie is such a weird nebulous title definition like like i said at the beginning and i like and to kind of tie it in with i I feel like i've kind of sidetracked the conversation with kind of talking about this (laughs) idea of an indie but to to tie that into the history thing what you wanted to start off with is that's why i say like the definition of indie i feel changes from era to era Mm -hmm. like what's an indie back in like the 90s might not be considered an indie now depending on and i think even now that's that's a great point because i think even now we're seeing that shift again because after Steam, and we'll get into that just very shortly, but after Steam um, kind of exploded and uh, allowed people to just publish, self-publish games on the platform, then that point, the, there were more small teams with tight budgets and such just publishing a lot of games. But then regardless of success, they could be defined as indies. Mm-hmm. But then now we have, again, publishers trying to tap into that market and that, uh, and, and that kind of shifting consumer trends and so that the indie term is changing again so i think what i like to what i like to stick with when it comes to defining some some game or studio as indie is something made by small team usually no more than 15 people um and with usually tight budget and with a relative creative freedom but now the problem with creative freedom is that it's very difficult to define how much of that was yeah. really freedom well, and so you know. w- with that in mind though would technically a game like death stranding be considered indie because sony didn't that's the main that's the problem yeah exactly like i would argue no because there's already so many connections and it was such a big budget but at the same time it kind of is because it wasn't like it was self-published right it was published by kojima's own company um that's a that's a weird like in the middle where it's like it's technically like, it has all the dressings of an indie developed game but none of the <laughs> the, the backing of it like the finances <laughs> yeah, exactly. and like triple like big hollywood actors and crap like that like it's such a weird yeah. thing but i yeah instead of i i, I think i i missed i kind of misspoke and when i was saying like i wasn't necessarily trying to say like we'll never know i kind of think the interesting thing about this conversation is well, how can I say this? I'm trying to say the interesting thing that we can explore throughout this conversation, exploring through the the history of indie games and then the rise the rise of indie games in the you know specifically in like what 2009 to like 2016, like that kind mm-hmm. of era, um, is the definition of an indie game is so hard to define, but it's kind of fun to kind of leave it ambiguous because it leaves conversations True, like yeah. this open. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. So I uh, but- the the basic outline from my understanding of like the the like indie games is like technically everything was indie at the beginning and then mm-hmm. you kind of had the rise of shareware in like the late 80s early 90s and then starting in 2004ish is where you started seeing a little bit more self published i'm thinking there's a game called like cave story that came out in like 2004 yeah. um mm-hmm. and then in 2007 or 8 i think it might have been 2008 maybe nine when braid came out like the specifically the moment braid went big on the xbox live arcade uh Mm -hmm. is kind of like the indie boom that we know it as now and it hasn't really slowed down like it's changed and um 
isn't quite the same thing as it once was before, but for all intents and purposes, like that's where the indie boom really started mm-hmm. once Braid just hit it big. Braid and Super Meat Boy and, and that kind of thing. And actually, I'm very interested in that gap because every time I think about, you know, the, you know, there was the shareware market and then we, we jumped to Steam, but there's that gap in this kind of indie story that seems to uh, start when, uh, like at the beginning of the 90s or something, mm-hmm. and because then console gaming maybe um made made triple a more relevant but why i'm curious to hear your thoughts on that why do you think that happened i mean i don't i can't say for certain why um i mean shareware was still pretty big even into the mid 90s you know doom Mm -hmm. came out in what 92 93 92 93 i think it was something like that 93 um so it it like Doom was there, and then Quake obviously was a little less shareware, but Quake was also huge. Um, actually, no, it was there was a shareware version of Quake, but stuff like that, like shareware was a thing well into the 90s. Um, I would say the gap that you kind of see in like the mid to late 90s is just that it, it. I'm sure there was, and I'm sure there was indie games that people could point out that like not a lot of people know about or or are super obscure. I would say a <laughs> lot of the indie devs, though, or a lot of the indie games that you would see, kind of grew out of the internet, like Flash games, um, mm-hmm. Newgrounds. I mean, you have varying point, points yeah. of quality uh, in those, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course. But yeah. that's no, not even any shade because a lot of them were like meant to be jokes. Like I have a friend who, uh, shout out to Keith over at the Main Quest podcast on his Patreon. Uh, I haven't been able to listen to one of these episodes yet, but on his Patreon, he has a series called In a Flash, and it's all about reviewing Newgrounds games from the 90s. And some of them are incredibly offensive, <laughs> like because it was, you know, <laughs> early 2000s humor. Um, yeah. And uh, so I, th- I feel like a lot of indie games started coming out of that because of ease of access. It was a lot mm. easier to make games for Newgrounds than it was to get your game published on a PC and figure out a market. The internet, mm-hmm. like incredibly, uh, incredibly so, democratized indie distribution and made it a lot easier for people to do it. Um, and then it kind of ended up reversing because like the first people in that got hits, that's great. You know, it's the same thing even with like shareware. The first people who got shareware, mm-hmm. great. Uh, but eventually what happens is when something works, then it gets saturated in the market and it's yeah. impossible to really make yourself stand out unless you have um and this is it's not even just indie games. It could be for anything, but you need consistency, you need mm-hmm. uh, quality, you need a whole bunch of stuff. But it's it's not even just in gaming, like it, it being an indie dev, like in any form of media, like content creation, whether you're a YouTuber, a Twitch streamer, a podcaster, like mm-hmm. you, it's a bizarre combination of skill and luck. Uh, because mm-hmm. it, unless you were the first ones there to like ride the wave, you are hoping that someone will find you in the mass of everything that's thrown at you because we have everything yeah. is thrown at us and the same thing happens for indie devs one of the common complaints i was reading about uh you know it was great xbox live was fantastic all of a sudden we have this outlook as outlet excuse me in order to push our games to the public so we can we can have people play our games and then yeah. you and then realize, they screwed up massively <laughs> i would even say like i don't know the the ins and outs of it i know they screwed up massively but i think there's also they were kind of I think they were 
set up to fail a little bit. And it's not a hundred like the thing that everyone knows about digital distribution is discoverability is is can I swear on this or Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. It's fucking bullshit. Is <laughs> that's the issue. Because you can't how do you when you look at a at a marketplace a digital marketplace, you have to search for a specific title or it has to be they or the algorithm has to push that in through like your recommendations or put it on the front search page because that's how more people will get their eyes on it. But if you aren't, you don't have the connections with the people who run the storefront or you uh, get bad algorithmic luck, there's a whole bunch of things like discoverability is awful unless you get help from the people running the storefronts, whether it be Steam, whether it be Microsoft, whether it be Sony, whether it be Nintendo, you need help from that. Uh, otherwise, you're relying almost purely on word of mouth and uh, luck. And that's not to say it doesn't happen. Look at uh, Among Us. That was a game that mm-hmm. released like a couple of years prior to it blowing up yeah. in 2020. What, 2018, I want to say, it came out, or 2019? Um, uh, I think it was just before the pandemic. Yeah, then that's when it exploded. So I think it was 2018, and it just um, so happened it took off, and you know it blew up, and it became this massive, huge success for the company that was not prepared to handle that massive, huge success. Yeah, yeah, and same for Fall Guys during yeah. the pandemic. Fall Guys became huge, and then it kind of deflated, but it, yeah. it's still it's still beloved in like Twitch and by content mm-hmm. creators and such. But yeah, you made a great point in terms of market saturation there because it's the allure of money, isn't it? It's uh, you you see that there's a chance to make somewhat easy money, but there's uh, an easier chance to make money than what you're doing now. So you jump on board, and then all of a sudden everybody is there, and the market gets saturated, and it becomes a mess. So yeah, it's uh, it's totally true, and uh, and that's exactly what happened with Xbox Live Arcade at some point mm-hmm. after. The release of Super Meat Boy and Braid and Fez, everybody wanted to jump on that ship. And then Microsoft kind of potentially made a bunch of, of bad choices there. And uh, mm-hmm. the ball went in Sony's court, who was able to capitalize it with PS3 on and, and, and that area and that era over there, and then also PS4 and and so on. Um but yeah, that's uh there's also one thing about indies around the that early noughties, which is that AAAs were getting super expensive and they weren't very much willing to take risks, which is still very much a thing today yep. in, in some cases. It's too expensive. And so indies, yeah, millions in budget just to make a game. And and that means that indies had, smaller teams had more freedom and willpower and, you know, the lack of resources to have the resources to, to, uh, to experiment a bit more, um, which means... There were new experiences being born, and that's what we saw with Braid, Super Meat Boy, and Fez, which coincidentally kind of all came out around the same time. And um, as a really great documentary all about their development, uh, Indie, was indie, it? Game, indie Game the, the movie. movie. Yeah. Fantastic uh, Fantastic movie. indeed, yeah. And it'll make you love and hate the devs. It'll You'll love <laughs> some, you'll hate others. I'm not going to say who. Yeah. You can you I'll let But you, I think we all know who. Yeah. You know, if you watch it, you probably know who you end up not liking. <laughs> yeah. But uh you never know. But I, I believe uh one of them, uh the dude who made super, one of the dude one of the guys who made Super Meat Boy, Edmund, I want to say his Edmund name. Edmund McMillan, yeah. Edmund McMillan went on to make the binding of Isaac games, right? Yeah. So exactly, yeah. It's it's interesting to see what uh 
I think what's fascinating about indie games is that simultaneously the lack of resources and all that other stuff, while it is a huge hindrance, it is a huge creative boon to them. Um, limitations breed creativity. That's why a lot of older games, they when you have to work around limitations, you find much more creative solutions. I'm not saying that's always going to be the case, but like by and large, it, most people that I, most creatives that I speak to agree that limitations breed creativity. Uh, so there's that element. Also, like you said, Anthony, perfect. I mean, I, I agree a 100% because of the, the, you, you have less overhead to worry about. You can afford to be riskier with your game design mm-hmm. ideas. And yeah. arguably that's where, like, if you really think about it, the biggest, uh, actually, you know what? Yeah. Two of the biggest genres to come out to come out within the last like ten or twelve years are from indie games. Uh, MOBAs uh-huh, was yeah. from Dota, you know, from uh, from an mm-hmm. indie uh, mod for Warcraft Three, which then spawned mm-hmm. into its own genre of games called MOBAs. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, yes, technically it's not an indie game, but it's an mm-hmm. indie developer who modded an existing game engine to make the thing i yeah. consider that an indie. i think i it, think mods do it kind of skirts indie, the yeah. line a little bit yeah. yes but like i still think it it was it was an indie or it has indie origins at the very least mm-hmm. um and, and then, the other one i think you're you're thinking about battle royales it. aren't you or um, what sorry battle royale yes the, the, yes the genre, yeah 100 came out of um it wasn't it the culling i think it was the culling that i thought it was uh, PUBG originally was PUBG not PUBG, triple is triple a uh no, no no it's also indie but but the culling also kind of it was the same concept it was kind of an under a hunger games indie game mm, okay which had the same concept as PUBG, but PUBG made it bigger with a bigger map and such but culling the culling was pretty much like Hunger Games. You had the, the gas zone that kind of closed in and we now we see that in Fortnite and, and Warzone and mm-hmm. uh, that whole new genre that was simply born out of two indie games, which were The Culling and PUBG, which kind of came out at the same time, if I remember right. So again, for some reason, they, they cross-contaminated each other yeah. uh, and, and then something interesting was born. But there's... a uh, there's also another pretty important milestone, which is around the time Braid came out, which is in 2008 and 2009, and I believe this is respectively, Kickstarter and Indiegogo were launched, mm, which means yeah. crowdfunding, which means people yeah. trying to get funding for their games and not having to worry about fun, uh, find, finding a publisher anymore. And uh, so we saw the likes of, well, Hollow Knight more recently, but I'm, I'm sure, I can't think of one specific title right now, but I'm sure there were some early indies around that time that were funded using Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the infamous one is Mighty Number no. 9, because it... Oh, uh, yeah, there you go, Mighty Number no. yeah, yeah, the infamous... The one. infamous yeah. one is Mighty Number no. 9. Uh, but, I mean, like, there's lots of um, indie games. I can't think of, like, an early, early example, like Mighty Number no. 9 era of early. But if you're thinking of, like, recently... I can't remember the name of the game, but it, there's a new game from the same developers who made Suikoden for the on the mm-hmm. the Suikoden games on PS One. Yeah, that's true. Uh, mm-hmm. Fully funded through crowdfunding. Uh, obviously, um, the Sea of Stars game from the people who made the Messenger, I believe, it's mm-hmm. from the same dev. Uh, also got uh, 
Oh my gosh, why can't I think of the composer's name? It's the same composer who did Chrono Trigger. It's uh, Yashinori Mitsuda, I want to say. I'll, um, I'll look it up real quick mm-hmm, while I'm yeah. talking. But yeah, so like the dude, it, it's crazy what uh, what they've been able, like what crowdfunding is able to do. But the problem is, is that as kind of with any lucrative business model, there's going to be grifters. Um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's a big problem. There's lots of times where, unfortunately, people will, you know, say, hey, I'm making this game. And then it's not actually in progress at all type of thing. So, um, and sorry, yes, it is Yoshinori Mitsuda, who also worked with Nobuo Uematsu on the soundtrack a little bit as well. right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and yeah, it's kind of cool to see that he is working on what is supposed to be the spiritual successor well, spiritual six not supposed to be what what is a spiritual successor to kind of Chrono Trigger and Secret of Mana mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. But anyway, um, there's another example that comes to mind, which is um, well, of course, Mighty Number no. Nine, the original creator of Mega Man, just trying to get indie and and, and such. I mean, the but, game so did was, come out, but it still like yeah, yeah, was, was a pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> Some people still have not gotten uh, their copies of that, even though it's like over a decade now. Oh, I didn't know that, but yeah, yeah that's that's bad. Um, there's another example. I think I'm pretty sure, and I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Shenmue Three yes. was also funded mm-hmm. on Kickstarter, and like you know, Shenmue One and Two, I I don't think they were indie at all. No. So Kickstarter just gave rise to this new wave of just people from even um, even having maybe a triple A some triple A experience wanting to do their own thing completely detached from any kind of, of of publisher and having to be wanting to be their own bosses um but of course all of this at some point was fueled by steam uh mm-hmm. who who needed a platform to just keep half-life up to date and host the uh the source mods and such and counter-strike and whatnot and that became like a digital storefront and then it exploded i believe the first game the first non-valve game and I've um, written this down. The first non-Valve game to land on Steam was Ragdoll Kung Fu. Uh, I thought it was Darwinia. It was together with Darwinia, but Darwinia okay. was after Ragdoll Kung Fu, oh, just okay. just slightly after. Um, and then Cave Story, Word of Goo, and all of those just kind of landed on the platform. But what I want to do now is I want to, and the listeners won't be able to see it, but I want to <laughs> share just very briefly a uh what i'm looking at right now which is a graph of indie game releases from 2008 up until today and you can see two very important milestones there or very two important fla- uh, moments which are steam greenlight and steam direct so steam greenlight i don't know if you remember what it was but essentially it was this this program where you would submit your game on steam Mm-hmm. And uh, people would would be able to to vote on it, uh, and uh, whether they wanted it to come to fruition and stuff. But there were some downsides to 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 Steam Greenlight. It wasn't a perfect system, so it got replaced in 2017 by Steam Direct, which is basically pay a fee and get published. Well, if I remember um, correctly, so yeah. it's because they didn't require a fee at all. Exactly. And yeah. While that most people are like, that's amazing. What a great thing. You're right. That is amazing. <laughs> but people can also not be the best. And so there was yeah, a whole was bunch a of games of, that yeah. would just get published. Shovelware. For like it's not even shovelware. It's sewerware. It's like you go oh, right. even, you could go even <laughs> lower than that. 
Um, yeah, it's, it yeah, was yeah. it was stuff that it would just be like escape this room, and you can never actually escape the room. You're just trapped. Like someone literally just designed like a white box, and you just that's their yeah. game. You paid was, money. There for was that. a lot of crap. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So. And and uh, of course, the listeners won't be able to see this chart. But if you go onto Steam Steam DB, you can see this chart for yourself in the indie section in the category. But basically, there's that moment in stream where Steam Greenlight just got launched in 2012 mm-hmm. and then and i think it was august 2012 and then from then indies started to rise but then the biggest bump was when steam direct um got released which actually is in 2017 which is i believe around the same time when hollow knight and another wave of incredible indies was released so from then on basically indies went from on steam and this is on steam alone not counting other platforms but indies went from being 970 in 2014, published in 2014, to being 6,273 <laughs> in 2018. So about four years later. And I think that's crazy. So that's a huge I'm going to stop jump. sharing this one, but uh, I want to I, I want to comment this one, this this thing with you. Like what, what do you think? What are your thoughts when you when you see something like that? I think that that is it was a perfect storm of stuff, and I don't mean storm in a bad way. I think it's wonderful that there's so many indie games being developed because not every game is going to speak to me, and that's fine. But so that's when I say middling quality, there are some that are objectively like doesn't matter if you like it or dislike it; they're just bad games. And it's, yeah. that's no offense to the devs either. Making game is hard. Making game is really mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. Um, I went to school for game design, and I couldn't hack it like i'm just saying that right now like it's it's a tough job um so uh i when i say that when i say that i don't i hope it doesn't come off as like a like i don't know i i don't want to belittle anyone's work because it's a lot of work to put into a game yeah um with that said i it makes me very happy to see that because even with the the glut of both thankfully a lot of great phenomenal indie games and some not so great ones um it I think the when I mentioned before is a perfect storm. It's because if you think about it, you think about you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, right? Mm-hmm. Indie games are first taking off. If you think about kids in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, maybe they're ten or twelve years old, right? Something mm-hmm. like that. They grow up and go to college. They're starting to leave college or are in college around twenty eighteen. And they're starting to like take game design seriously, and mm-hmm. they they've they they're no longer ten or twelve year olds. They're now you know you know either they're young adults, late teens, early twenties, and they're starting to make their own set of games. So I think it was this perfect storm of like right when those kids were coming of age in order that they could break into some any to the industry at all, whether it be AAA or otherwise. Steam has this thing where like you can publish on our platform and yeah. it's very easy to develop for a PC compared to having to port it to, you know, Switch or PS5 or Xbox. Well, you also X. need the development kits, which are pretty expensive. Yes. So, and you yeah. versus for Steam, you pay the fee, which I don't know if it still is this. I remember for a while it was just a hundred dollars. Which I think is, it's still a hundred dollars. Which yeah. is so like that is outrageously affordable compared to like what it is to get your game approved on like uh from by one of the big uh consoles um so it's 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 awesome so i think it's this perfect it is a hundred dollars it's still a hundred that's amazing still a hundred dollars yeah so 
think about it. It's this perfect storm of a bunch of kids growing up with indie games being like, oh, this was a game that someone that like just someone made in their house. Like they didn't have to like get hired by a studio that I know they can just do this. Uh, I, that's, that's a very freeing idea. That's a very freeing, mm-hmm. um, realization for a kid to have. And so the kids who were serious about it stayed serious about it and they kept on, you know, working on, working on the, working, it, uh, excuse me, working it for themselves, like figuring out how to make games. And so now they're leaving college. And what do you know? Steam suddenly has this amazing program that just allows you to publish games on their yeah. platform. Um, and add to that the fact that basically around this time, because of all the indie games mm. that were being published, there was also increased awareness of just what the indies, what the indie market could do. So like uh, Hollow Knight around 2017 and uh, Stardew Valley, and of course so, earlier than that, all the games that we yeah. that we mentioned. So Minecraft, the ultimate indie game that made <laughs> millions of dollars, and Fez, Braid, Super Meat Boys, The Stanley Parable. I don't know how much the Stanley Parable did, but it was insanely popular was, at the time as well. It was pretty influential, to say the least. I remember even yeah. like uh, I remember seeing when that came out, like a lot of people were talking about it because no one had played a game quite like that yet. Um, mm-hmm. What indies do are just incredible, man. Sorry, I cut you yeah. off. Oh no 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 no! Sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> but basically, plus uh, add to that that Unity and and Epic yes. kind of capitalized on on this new wave and made and Unity released... free. I don't know if Epic is. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about Unreal Engine, but I Unreal think it Engine. is free. It, uh, I think I think it is free. But but yeah, there was wider availability of development tools. Accessing the market was easier than ever because of Steam and Greenlight and all of that. There was this. Also, this was around this time, as you mentioned, all those kids out of school or just those that maybe had been in games for a long time, they were starting to share their knowledge online as well. So YouTube tutorials and all those communities of indie devs coming together. And so you had this huge expansion of digital distribution platforms, plus the communities of indie devs just sharing knowledge with each other, development tools being easy to access market access being easier than ever because of steam and and even playstation putting, mm-hmm. aiming to publish more in these xbox live arcade and all of those so indie games just exploded and they haven't stopped <laughs> since no. then it's it's still going um so yeah it's i i think i think i think it's amazing it's uh it's impressive what what happened in the past few years and now arguably indie games are some of the um, most anticipated titles when it comes to new True. releases coming now. Like it's, don't get me wrong. I almost feel like there is like indie and then there's like triple A indie might sound a little insulting because I don't want to like indie games. I, I feel like it's a very like, you know, it's a very almost a little bit of a hipster mentality. Like I'm not triple A man. I'm yeah. part of the hip. I'm part <laughs> of the indie scene. Uh, but there are bigger indie devs like look at Yacht Club games. Like I love Shovel yeah. Knight to pieces and they have, oh, yeah. is Mina the Hollower out or is it coming out? I don't know. That was their, ne- that's their uh, next game. It's like I a think, Zelda clone. I think it's coming out, but I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm not sure. I'd have to double check. Okay. So, yeah. but, uh, you know, they're a big, cause Shovel Knight did so well. They could, they're kind of, yeah. it, essentially what happens is like, if you have that one hit game, it can really set you up for a long while. Um, yeah. and look at like Eric Barone with Stardew Valley. Yeah. That game. One person. That's insane. I mean, he even cre- like uh not this is no try- not trying to insult him but he also had assistance like yes he made everything himself but his 
girlfriend, I don't know if it, they're married now or not, but his partner, they, uh, she supported him the entire time. Yeah, like yeah, he yeah. didn't totally any yeah. money in. So, and he, he credits that. That is not any shade thrown at him. Uh, that still isn't a mo- monumental thing to do what he did. Um, mm-hmm. but he, uh, he did have a lot of help with it. So it's like, yes, he built everything on his own, but he didn't really make the game on his own. And he's, from what I've read, he's like the first to even admit that, but even, sorry, I don't know why I decided to clarify that. But even with that said, like that game has made him so much money that he's now able to do so much more with what he, that with mm-hmm. what he wants to do. It's yeah. really awesome. And I can tell that he still has that passion because he's still, he's working on, I think it's something like Chocolatier or something mm-hmm. like that. Anyway, something that has to do with chocolate. The Haunted and, Chocolatier, uh, I think. The Haunted Chocolatier, yeah. And he keeps expanding Stardew Valley. And he did the mul- mobile port recently where he put multiplayer in it. So, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, pretty pretty amazing, pretty incredible. And also, the oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say about, about Shovel Knight. I believe it even had its own amiibo at some point. Like, yes. it was... It was the first non-Nintendo character to mm-hmm. have an amiibo. Uh, that That's how big it was, uh, Shovel Knight, and it was an indie. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, that, that was pretty cool. But yeah, so I think, I think that brings us to today and what indie games are today. And the, and, and actually the, the core topic of this, of this talk, and we're well, I'm going to go well over one hour and I'm aware <laughs> of that, so don't worry. <laughs> but uh the core topic of this of this chat is the impact of indie games on video game culture. So, I, personally, I see that th- there's there's because of maybe that hipster um, mentality and that kind of wanting to be different, but also wanting to be a lot more. Um, I'd say I want to say empathetic, but it's not necessarily the right word. I think indie games carry a lot of humanity yes. with them. So yes. they they created. In my in what I can see, vibrant, passionate player communities that are very much passionate about indie games. Just look at us, the two of us, just speaking about them mm-hmm. with a lot of enthusiasm. And there's a lot of people out there that 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 feel the same way. And by the way, the Plucky Squire is definitely one of my most anticipated games of this year. And it's, it, I, I'd say, it's probably more double um, double A or triple I than 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 indie yeah. because of devolver and all of that but still but it's yeah i was just sorry i finished what you're saying i cut you off no but what, what i was just going to say is that the, i i think indie games today are creating a lot of spaces for inclusivity um mm-hmm. selflessness acceptance representation awareness things niche interests even like you can really find an indie game where that resonates with you no matter who you are and i think that's really special um but yeah go uh, go on well i was just gonna say i'm i agree with you and just to clarify it before because a lot of times people use hipster in a derogatory sense and i don't mean it that way in this instance i mean it oh, more me just kind of yeah, like yeah. uh like because hipster the hipster in a derogatory sense generally means like as soon as something becomes popular automatically is bad not everyone's like that and uh i'm not even saying that about indie devs i meant hipster more just like you like the being an indie almost feels like you're part of a community you know um mm-hmm. yeah like you're kind of like your 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 own community of outsiders type of thing which is a really like uh like great feeling to have when you when you can find that community um but to tie that in with what you said i agree it's um 
indie games, I think what the, the impact that they've had on game culture as a whole is in the best possible way it has it has uh like uh, what's the word i'm looking for um it has like i can't think of the word i know i had the word a second ago but basically if <laughs> if the game industry prior to the indie boom was very homogenous this is now not homogenous you know it's it's much more mm-hmm. spread out and arguably AAA has gotten even more samey samey over the years just because the budgets have ballooned so much and i think what indie devs really do the big benefit to indie devs take out the 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 runaway successes that spawn uh massive um series you know like the battle battle royale stuff with PUBG mm-hmm. or like Minecraft and or stuff like that but look at just indie games that exist on in their on their own and didn't spawn some massive money making genre that Epic Games now owns like fucking like everything uh but like <laughs> um it, I think what is amazing about indie games is like you said, they're able to create communities where none existed prior. Like the amount of like, I feel like it can speak to people where they're at, where AAA studios can't do that because the money is too high. They can't afford yeah. to make a giant AAA budget game that appeals to one specific group or, or mm-hmm. audience because it, it won't make the money back that they spent on it. And, um, indie games can do that uh i have a friend over uh on the taste of dragons podcast which they've been on hiatus for a little bit but uh named troy where almost all he plays is indie games because the indie games offer the most interesting and varied experiences for him um there what was the one that like uh well there was that game unpacking somewhat recently unpacking yeah. oh yeah it's, i have it's not beautiful i haven't played it myself personally but like i love the idea of that where it tells a story through what you're it's it's a puzzle game, yeah, but it's possessions. But it's yeah. telling a story through the possessions. Like that is beautiful mm. environmental storytelling, and you don't. And also the story is compelling too. Yeah. Like it's it's the growing up story, and mm-hmm. so I won't spoil it for you. But it's it's very very compelling. It's very touching too. And, and you can you can assume things just by how your possessions change, how you fit things into a space, uh, how you fit into someone else's space, and that kind of stuff. There's a lot of there are a lot of themes and just different design, um, great great design ideas in there, and I think you you would enjoy it very much. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing, and it also the indie game indie games in general speak to. I I, I don't I I'm hesitant to to bring it up because I'm not part of the community, so it would feel like I'm speaking for someone that I have no right speaking for. But with the LGBT mm-hmm. plus community. Um, there's a lot of like life is strange. I know from my understanding, I don't should say I gone know, home, gone home. I, it's, uh, it like yeah. I don't. I'm not part of that community, so I feel absolutely no right speaking on their behalf at all. So I, I it's the only reason I I didn't want to call out necessarily specifically, but it is worth bringing up because it has like it it has given people a community and a voice that they did not have before because of yeah. the society that we live in. So it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful what indie games can do. And also it just tells stories that you'll never hear in a triple A studio in a triple A game. That's true. Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll just it's, never uh, see yeah. um, untitled goose game would never be made. <laughs> Granted, I, I, we were yeah. talking about emotional stories that ha- talk about the human yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I brought up the 
the <laughs> untitled Goose Game. But you get the which idea. is a beautiful game, which, by the way. It is yeah. a beautiful, um, my personal favorite indie game of all time is Journey for the PS3 by yeah. from that game company. I know it's a it's a go to for a lot of people, but it was one of the first ones that I had ever played that I literally had an emotional reaction to. Um, mm-hmm. so much so I actually got Austin Wintory on my podcast a couple of years ago, the composer of the game to talk nice. about mm-hmm. his work on the game. And it was, uh, he was a very nice person. I was very grateful to have him on. Um, and it just, I think the way it's really shaped game culture now is that you are able to have these amazing experiences that AAA could not take the risk on ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it yeah. does, it generally has to be done in a big budget way. And even yeah. then, it's some, because of how people react online and shit, sometimes they have to yeah, be careful yeah. with it. But I'm not going to get into that. I, I totally agree. I think the beauty of indies, of indie games compared to uh, AAA is that they challenge conventions. They explore new ways mm-hmm. of making games and try to, to, to make things innovative in their own way. And, uh, and again, we, we mentioned a few examples, but like, as you mentioned, representation is so mm-hmm. important for a lot of communities. And I feel like indie games are, have, it's kind of like they, they build that channel of communication, the direct channel of communication between the developer and the player, even more so than AAA games do. Even though some of them now recently tried to do that, like the, the God of War reboot slash sequel from 2018, uh, not Ragnarok, the one before. Yeah. I think it speaks to, to dads a lot. I'm not a dad, but I feel like it speaks to dads and son, to fathers and, and sons mm-hmm. um, and, and and children and such. And I think it does it very in a very compelling way. And it takes that risk and, and the story that results from it is just beautiful. And I think there are, there are a lot of benefits for indies, especially um, that, that tap into those very niche and engaged communities, because, you know, those people are going to resonate with your game so much that you're, they're going to find it if you if you know what you're doing. Uh, but they're going to find it and they're going to like it and they're going to love it and they're going to tell their friends about it. And because these communities are very tight, they're going to have they're going to have other friends who want to play it um, and, and and such and such. And so I think I think Outer Wilds is a great example of a yes. game that just simply oh by God. word of mouth became huge, and that's because it just had maybe everything in it you you have a very very minor thing but you have as a pronoun you have they for the mm-hmm. harthians they have no gender and already you can identify with that um you, you can you you can see yourself in that but also the the quirkiness of the of the nomai the quirkiness mm-hmm. of the, the characters in there how unique they feel and the fact that it encourages failure through yes. the story and through it's gameplay mechanics. It's just something that I feel like triple A's maybe could be able, would be able to pull off. But like, that's the main thing I'm worried about Starfield when it comes to Starfield, for example, how big is it going to be? How focused is it going to be? Is it going to be quality over quantity? I'm not really sure. It's, it sounds like it's aiming for a thousand different pl- planets, but I don't know how much depth there's going to be yeah. to each of them. Whereas well, in Outer Wilds, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six planets plus a comet and you have a beautiful story i think Um, though with with that specifically it's almost hard like i would almost think it would be dumb let's say technology be damned no issue with 
with specs or limitations or hardware limits or any type of coding issues, right? Let's say you could make a game with hundreds of galaxies and they're as in-depth as the one we're in right now. That would be awful. That would be oh, yeah. <laughs> like there'd be too much to do. Like, let's say let's say yeah. it doesn't cost billions of dollars and it wouldn't be prohibitively expensive or the god forbid if there's any like human issues you know where i shouldn't say issues but the human factor of like burnout and crunch and all the awful things mm-hmm. that game devs do to their employees um take all that out of the equation let's say none of that's happening budget's not an issue that game would be so hard to play through because it would just be massive and like i would be overwhelmed personally like what do you mean i have to like go grocery shopping on (laughs) timbuk four i don't know Uh, i don't know i'm just making up things but um one other thing i think video games or indie games do besides speaking to a community that does not feel heard i also think that the the because they're able to push the envelope whether it's with storytelling whether it's with gameplay or whether it's with uh uh storytelling gameplay or even like visuals to an extent cuz what learning what visuals will stick with an audience um it shows the triple a's what's viable like Mm-hmm. I would say uh, be, with the rise of 2D indies again, 2D games are popular when before, yeah, you know, they're popular again, they're yeah. popular again before, you know, in the late nineties into the early two thousands, it was a death sentence to have an, have a 2D game unless you were on a handheld, you couldn't release a 2D mm-hmm. game on your, on a, on a true, home yeah. console. That's a death now. Like you wouldn't, they would not, no company would take that risk now. Like, <laughs> what is it? Capcom is uh, the Konami's re-releasing a lot of their old in, uh, Castle Independent, like indie Castle, not indie. I'm sorry, 2D Castlevania games. For crying out loud, Nintendo's bringing back <laughs> Mario in an, in a 2D yeah. format for mm-hmm. a home console, not just their. Um, though they did that actually yeah. kind of for the Wii. Now that I think about it, but it it just kind of shows like these types of things are still popular. And also even take out the 2d thing. Like you also have different gameplay and narrative ideas. Like the, the stories that focus on more into community on whether it's, uh, inclusivity, uh, or solidarity or any of those things that like help someone from an outside, from a community that's marginalized to feel more accepted, that's yeah. going to eventually bleed through to the AAA space. Because if you can, if you can make an experience that speaks to people and it, and it, it, it offers that for someone in a marginalized community, that's going to eventually see, like reach the ears of AAA devs one way or another. It's going to be slow because the, all the higher ups mm-hmm. are fucking greedy, but like, um, <laughs> it's, it, it, it does reach there. And like, uh, uh, even like, look at like outer wilds, like outer wilds is such an immensely complicated game for an indie title. Like the fact that all, everything happens in real time, no matter where you're at, like if you're on one planet, mm-hmm. there are things happening on other planets in yeah. real time uh, that yeah, you could be missing. Crazy. It's really impressive how they did that. Um, mm-hmm. I even think of how, like, the rise of games uh, like Firewatch, Walking Sims. Yeah, that would that's that's. I was about to to tell you to to mention those because I think there are some indie games, mm-hmm. of course, that, that that focus more on gameplay or blend gameplay story, just like Outer Wilds does so brilliantly. But some other games, like um, I don't know, the the, the um, uh, what remains of it of Edith Finch, mm-hmm. Giant Sparrow, Gone Home, their previous game, yeah. uh, the 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 Unfinished Swan. 
also one of my oh, it's favorite so beautiful. games of yeah, all time. Yeah. I played it. Could but, not believe it. Also, that there game. are others. There's uh, there's uh, that Dragon Cancer, which yes. I mean, I, I challenge anybody to go through that one and not shed a tear. Of already at the third, pretty much, pretty much at the third level. It's just so incredible, and it's an experience, and I think it's fine. Um, I had I had kind of a not an not an argument, but at least kind of a. Um, a little, a little, a very lively chat with someone uh, at a <laughs> at an indie game developers meetup in London mm-hmm. just recently, and we were talking about gameplay as story, and I was telling him, uh, yeah, so I have this podcast, and right now I'm writing a Metroidvania. Ooh, I'm writing a Metroidvania. Um, but he said, uh, "What do you mean you're writing a Metroidvania? Metroidvanias are gameplay. The story comes after." And uh, I'm like, "Dude, do you know Hollow Knight?" What what it did with lore and and how the two things came together, uh, and uh, so that 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 went on for a while. But there there are of course games that try to to put gameplay first. There are games that try to put gameplay and story first, and that's what I, and that's the kind of genre or or type of game that I tend to enjoy the most. But there are also games that want to tell you a story, and they use video games as a medium to tell that story mm-hmm. uh, in an interactive and immersive way. Edith Finch and the ones that we've already mentioned, um, and 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 I think that's that's really interesting. And I think it's also interesting that some of those also delve into some critical cultural political moments, like there's Papers Please, there's mm-hmm. this War of Mine, which is so beautiful at at telling you at at showing you what it means to to live in a war zone. Um, and, and having you live through that experience, I don't know how accurate that is, but it does hit you more than once, when, especially when your characters die permanently um, and, and you're left with just maybe the child or something like that mm-hmm. left to, to survive on, on their own. But yeah, there's, there's plenty of those experiences. And I think indie games do that very well. And AAAs are definitely starting to take notice that... They, they will start to take more risks, especially after the, the umpteenth Assassin's Creed uh, mm. Mirage looks like uh, looks like maybe something that, that came out five years ago and the Twitch chat was full of, oh, this is this is bullshit. This is crap. Just do a, something new. It's the same old game. It's so yep. boring. Same thing for Call of Duty. Same things for FIFA that apparently just came out. The new one, uh, Football Club 2024. And it's shit because it's the same game but worse so at some point i think we will see some more cross-contamination between the two sectors if you can call them sectors and i think you brought up an interesting point about what indie devs are able to focus on um in terms of how they approach designing their games um personally i'm personally of the opinion that gameplay should always be the most important thing because if you're playing a video game and if you're yeah. not focusing on the gameplay, what's the difference between that and watching a movie then? Like movies are able to tell stories. You need to find and I'm not saying it has to be like every game has to be a shooter or it has to have a puzzle or it has to have some type of combat or action. But Yeah, and in fact you mentioned Firewatch as being a great game yes. and that has very minimal gameplay and the story works well together. So. But I think the reason that one works 
is because while they did focus on story more than gameplay, they focused they they designed it in a way to allow what gameplay there was to reinforce the narrative. They told the story. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. That's uh, that's exactly what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah. I think that I think that's what you were t- you were saying there. Yeah. Well, and I think that the point I guess I'm trying to make is like if your gameplay is bad, even if the story is good, it's going to be a lot harder for people. Yeah. I I think what what I'm kind of getting on a little bit of a soapbox, I guess, where it's like it always bothers me when people are like, "Well, story is more important than games." I'm like, than gameplay. I'm like, no. I they should work together, but the reality of it is gameplay should always take precedence. I'm not yeah. saying gameplay should always be the focus. There's the difference. Yeah. Like Firewatch, the gameplay is not the focus. It is the story. However, mm-hmm. gameplay should always be take precedent in terms of being the the foundation because otherwise you don't have a game. I'm not even talking yeah. like it, it otherwise, like I like I said before, if if you're just like uh, sorry, I'm going all over the damn place. Why do you think people <laughs> criticize a lot of Kojima's later games as uh-huh. there's like hour and a half long cutscenes? That's not a cutscene. That's a movie. You're just watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the game <laughs> yeah. is good. I'm sure the gameplay in between each each of those those movies are, is good. But that is a thing where it's like you're focusing more on the movie aspect, the storytelling aspect, than on the gameplay. When if you can marry the two i.e. Exactly. Firewatch, i.e. even like Hollow Knight, like you're saying. I, I'm personally not the biggest yeah. Hollow Knight fan, but that's more of a, that's not, that's more of a personal preference. But they they married the two so well in that, and they focused on the gameplay as well, in my opinion, yeah. on that. And But again, Outer Wilds as well, gameplay excellent and story excellent, and the two reinforce mm-hmm. each other. So, you, you, uh, and of course, the gameplay has to be compelling first. But yes. yeah. And the gameplay doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't even have to be the focal point, but it has to be good. And that's mm-hmm. really, like, that's why I'm saying, like, it, or at least passable. There are some games that have really janky gameplay that's just interesting enough that you can, you can forge your way through <laughs> and to enjoy the story. But I think what indie games ultimately offer to the industry that doesn't really what what it offers to the industry is besides inclusivity which AAA devs are getting better at not they're not perfect by any stretch but they are getting better at besides um exploring division but yeah <laughs> oh god I, I said some not all Act, holy fuck activision i anyway um there besides that besides the fact that indie games offer um, unique stories that you'll never hear otherwise. I think it's just that what indie games really offer is a way to kind of bring back almost the double A standard of games. Like, you know, back in the PS2 era and earlier, you could have your big AAA Final Fantasy X, mm-hmm. you know, billions or not billions, yeah. millions of uh-huh. dollars in development. Or you could just spend a couple thousand or however, you know, well, it's more than that, but you know what I'm saying, by comparison, a couple thousand, um, and you have this small bite-sized, like, game that you could, like, I'm thinking of even, like, Pa Rappa the Rapper for the PS1, like, that was, oh, yeah. that was, like, mm-hmm. that wasn't a huge budget, you know, it's just a fun game that they decided, like, this would be a yeah. fun thing to do, and indie games offer that. Indie games have grown to the point where you still have, where it's kind of cool to see that they're still indie, but they're making games on par with uh double a level games and it's really it's really awesome to see i totally agree with everything especially the 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 bit about you know it's still a game but 
you can use that as a medium to convey a message, yeah. to tell a story, to to create an experience that people are going to enjoy. And uh, but that, actually, what you said about uh, indies today is actually a nice segue into the last, uh, the fourth and final point of this of this chat of ours, which is where are indies headed and how are they going to affect video game culture? Of course, it's difficult to know, and everybody. It's impossible to know for sure, and everybody's saying differently. It's either lying mm-hmm. or a madman. But uh, I think, I think because of everything we said at the beginning and everything that's going on now, and uh, and and this kind of interest from AAA in the indie game development scene, we're seeing some more investment into those small teams and those um, very focused little experiences that uh, that can focus on brevity and still give you a compelling. Uh, game or compelling something something to remember anyway mm-hmm. game pass uh of course has loads of indies in it but microsoft studios i mean microsoft is buying a lot of studios here and there but like ori and the blind forest is one of my favorite i love indie game games of all so time much. bought by microsoft founded by microsoft the moon studios apart from the music that's just amazing but the game itself is beautiful too uh, there's PlayStation Studios and, uh, and PlayStation always pushing on indies. There's mm-hmm. the EA original. So though I don't know where they're headed with that one now. I think they're refocusing a little bit. But the, the thing is, there's more and more publishers investing in small and passionate studios. And that means, as we, as we mentioned, that the label indie is becoming nuanced and losing its meaning again, if, the, if it ever had any meaning. So something for you personally, Josh, where do you think we are headed there? in terms of, of uh, next steps in and the impact on video game culture and all of that? Well, I, 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 don't, I think one thing to bring up with where we're heading in the future, and I don't want to necessarily go into this because it's not 100% applicable to our topic today, but it does affect it, is AI in video games and how mm-hmm. AI art and you know all that stuff is going to affect game development. I'm not... I, I'm of mixed opinions on the thing. I, I think AI could be a wonderful tool, but it's clearly not used as a wonderful tool by a lot of people. It's used to yeah. steal. It's used to do a number of awful things. So th- It's used to save on costs, save but on in costs. a very brutal way. And, like, uh, look at all the writer's strikes in, Amer- in the US right now. So. Yep. And of course, you know about that because you're based there. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just... I. I don't know enough about it to really comment on it, but you'd be dumb to not think it's going to affect how indie games are going to be in the future. It's mm-hmm. going to. I don't know what in what way. I'm not an indie dev. I'm not an indie dev, nor am I really involved in the tech community in, on the AI half. Um, I can say at least I'm not personally a fan of it, but I also think there is a there can be a nuanced conversation about the uses of it and the ethical mm-hmm. the ethics and morality of it um but that's not really i i don't feel qualified to be the one to discuss that um so it's uh, it's a very polarized conversation yeah. right now there's either people saying oh it's the worst thing ever or the gurus already jumping on it and saying oh yeah this is this is the future as always i think the truth stands in the middle there's uh that there's going to be great value in using AI tools for assistance and some mm-hmm. and some kind of augmenting your work, but it's never going to replace well, you entirely. I think that's what I'm hoping as well. And personally, like yeah. if it were up to me, I would not, I want AI gone. Just personally, mm-hmm. from from arts, like AI is part of like I have no like at the job I work at, like we use AI to help 
basically move stuff along, but we haven't let anybody mm -hmm. go. It essentially, AI just replaced yep. hiring people, which you could argue uh -huh. is a is an issue in and of itself. Um, but uh, I I I I don't ha necessarily have an issue with AI when it's used as a tool, but if, when it's used to wholesale replace people, that I have a major issue with. And so personally, I don't. I wish AI wasn't even a thing at all anymore because I, I don't like the conversation. I don't like what it's doing. With that said, the genie's out of the bottle. <laughs> You're not putting yeah. it back. It's not going away. <laughs> yeah. It's here. So it sucks, yeah. but it's there. So I, and but to get off that, yeah, that is something to keep in mind. That's going to affect the future of indie games. Just re, uh, with the exception of that, um, I think where indie games are going is just kind of they're going to continue to rise, man. Like you're going to there's going to be some indie studios that become triple A studios, not even necessarily mm -hmm. bought up by Microsoft or Sony, though that is could be a possibility. Um, there's there. Yeah, they're going to be um, indie studios that grow to be essentially the size of AAA. Like, hence the I mean, it's not a perfect example because he started in in a AAA studio and then ended up kind of creating his own, his own. But Kojima with his production company, like technically they're kind of indie, like we said at the beginning, but technically they're kind of not. Yeah. It's kind of in between. Um, but I think you're going to see the the big indie developers grow and expand and become borderline AAA. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I don't, I, some people will, like I said, and this time I do mean it in a derogatory sense, some people will get a little hipsterish about it. Like, oh, they were cooler when they weren't so big type of thing. But you know, every, to each yeah. their own, that's everyone's going to, you, you do that with music, you do that with movies, you do that with everything. It was cooler when not as many people knew about it type of thing. Um, that's yeah, just human yeah, yeah. nature and that's fine. Um, and also, as you grow, some culture issues arise, and and if if you become bigger, then there's going to you're going to lose a little bit of your of your nature yes. uh, inevitably. But may, but it doesn't mean that that it's you become worse than what you were necessarily. So yeah. Uh, but yeah. So where are indie games going? I don't know. Like you said, I don't. We don't know 100 percent for sure. I just think that they're going to continue to grow because they have been for the last like six years like they're just still growing and they're still like now some of the most anticipated titles just period are indie titles or sequels to indie games uh freaking we didn't even, i can't believe we didn't even i'll, touch I'll on have it. to get the door but let, let me let me go and get the door i'll be right okay. back ah uh, well i'm gonna cut that out of the, of the episode <laughs> no worries. uh but amazon delivery just got a book about indie games i think uh oh, coincidentally nice. but yeah so I'll, I'll show it to you maybe later but yeah so sorry you you were saying um hold on I, I it's kind of on the tip of my tongue again oh i can't believe we didn't even bring this up before uh super giant you know bastion Hades. Oh, of course yeah like, bastion like, hades super giant mm -hmm. arguably is they're not triple a but they're pretty damn big now. No, no pun mm -hmm. intended with the name Supergiant. Um, <laughs> but like they're they're a big big indie publisher developer. Excuse me. Um, it's and I guess they publish certain games too. It, it's it's incredible what they've done, and you're going to see more Supergiants, more of these like these indie devs who are just so damn good at what they do that they don't necessarily like they keep producing. I don't want to say hits, but like. Uh, solid games you know like not all not everything's going to be the same level of a hit as hades was but uh it's still it's still amazing with what they they were able to do and where they started and where they are now so i think indie games indie devs and indie games are going to continue to rise you're going to see 
the the ones that are have continued success to float to the top and you they're going to become bigger and better and maybe some of their newer games when when they're larger aren't going to hit you as well because they have too many people to kind of keep the the ideas focused and concise who knows Mm -hmm. but uh we won't know until we get there so yeah that's where i think indie games are going to go and i'm very aligned i think they're going to keep rising they're going to keep becoming bigger and bigger and bigger they're going to keep growing in in all in all sorts of ways and uh we're going to see even more experimental things as as things go on there are there are so many indies out there that are already experimenting with game design and and what they can do and the way they can tell they can send their message and such and it's not going to stop i mean as to bring it back to the beginning indie games and indie developers are the foundation of our medium they've they've never left and i think they never will so to wrap it up well it, it was a beautiful conversation with with you josh beautiful episode um, we, we covered anything from the origins and rise of indie games to the future <laughs> of video game culture. So, but it was, uh, it was really, really good. And I think, uh, I think this is, this is going to be one of the best episodes of the, of the show so far. So thank you so much for your time. And of course, one thing that I ask to everybody who comes on the show, where can people find you? And if they do, how can they support you? Well, first off, thank you again for having me on. Honored once again to be your first uh, other podcaster on the show. So really honored to have that uh, have that privilege. So thank you. Uh, this was a really fun conversation. Uh, as usual, though, my mind after we're done recording is going to be like, oh, crap, did I say something I should have said over the whole course of the whole thing? <laughs> or did someone misread in my intention? But uh, that's anxiety for you. But I had a wonderful time, man. This was a lot of fun. For my own shenanigans, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, Twitter as long as it exists. Also, threads, because that's a thing now. Uh, threads uh, yep. at Still Loading Pod on all of them. I'm over on Twitch at Still Loading Pod. I'm on YouTube at Still Loading Podcast, though. YouTube is literally just audio and a thumbnail of all my episodes. So there's really not a whole lot going on over there. It's just something for fun on the side just another place to put the podcast so yeah uh if you liked my voice and you want to hear more of it or you didn't hate me too much for my (laughs) opinions um feel free to check me out over there um and you can find facebook or facebook you can find still loading anywhere podcasts are found apple Podcasts, google podcasts spotify all that good stuff so yeah and uh, most of that is true for my podcast as well for listeners who may be tuning in from still loading site uh, you can find the indie diarist on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, you name it also on twitter where i just reached the milestone of a thousand followers yesterday uh so that's great uh and uh, on threads where i just landed and uh, i think by the time this episode comes out there will also be patreon and coffee where you can oh, support nice. the show uh so yeah like uh, you're the first person to hear that <laughs> yeah. um but yeah again thank you so much josh this was actually we have something planned in the near future yes we do so yeah people will hear from me again very soon but yeah thank you well, and that's a wrap on this special second bonus episode of the Indeed Iris podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the show. As mentioned, you can find it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, 
uh, Spotify everywhere and you're probably listening to it on a platform right now. Uh, thank you so much to Josh for being such an amazing guest. I had so much fun and this is one of the episodes I'm most proud of, really, uh, even after listening to it while editing it. This is really amazing. Thank you so much. I can't wait to be on your show, uh, which is going to happen pretty soon as well. So. Uh, as you heard, I was right. Patreon and Coffee are now live. As I mentioned also at the beginning of the episode, you can go to theindiedirus.com and find links to Discord, Twitter, everywhere where you can actually go and support the show. Uh, every little thing counts, and I will be super appreciative of, of your support there. So yeah, uh, if you're an indie game developer, as usual, please get in touch, because I would love to tell your story to my listeners who are always hungry for amazing human stories from the indie game development community. So... Until next time, I'll speak to you in the next episode of the Indie Diarist Podcast.